Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Um, we are back to our regular format this week and I think we'll be sticking to this for a while. I did a couple of live streams over the last couple weeks uh, and those were kind of fun and exciting, but uh, the general usual format for the show will be this one and we'll be, and so we're getting back to it. Uh, of course, lots of fun and interesting things happening. And by the way, if you have not checked out the uh, video that I posted, I think about a week or a week and a half ago on uh, Bill Gothard and the IBLP, uh, I would very much encourage you to do so. If you have any interest in coercive persuasion or undue influence and how destructive cults work in the United States, uh, Bill Gothard's group is far more uh, widespread and insidious and uh, abusive than Scientology. And that's really saying something, but it, it is true. So um, anyway, I would um, the, the exposure that is necessary with that group um, is important to me because it is, uh, not only do I have a friend who used to be a member who was in that video with me, Christiana, but um, I, you know, I'm trying to use this channel to inform, educate, and uh, entertain, and, um, and I want to get the word out far and wide about the uh, abuses in that cult, not for the salacious purpose of looking at all the abuses, but to keep people away from that group in the same way that I'm working to keep people away from the Church of Scientology. So that all being said, let's go ahead and go on with your questions now because we've got some uh, big ones this week. Kiva Go, what are your thoughts on Australia's census showing Scientology has lost a third of its members in that country over the last decade? Is it faster than you expected? Is there anything David Miscavige can do to slow or even reverse this declining membership trend? Factually, no, I'm not really surprised at all that a third of uh, Australia's membership has, has gone away uh, in terms of census counts. And I think that's very telling, actually, because I uh, you know, heard about this a few days ago and there were some comments made, I think this was on Tony's blog, The Underground Bunker, and um, and a, a, a you know a good intelligent commenter over there was was suggesting that this not be taken as a um, picture of what's happening around the world, but I can't really help but apply at least to the United States that same decline in membership. I think that I think that, that is what's happening over the last ten you know ten or fifteen years or so. Um, certainly would not surprise me at all to see the same thing reflected here in the U.S. I um, don't necessarily apply that to uh, Russia or third world, you know, Thailand, Asia, those countries. I'm not so sure that they've had a declining membership. I really don't know anything about the membership in those countries. But I know in the Western countries, in Europe and, and the UK and the United States, Australia, Canada, um, maybe maybe Latin America, don't really know. I can't, I can't really speak intelligently about, about Scientology membership down there. But I think in those other places I was talking about, it's definitely been on a decline from every indicator that we have. Um, and I say that because, uh, one, the exposure uh, from, you know, Anonymous in 2008 forward, all the books and media and uh, everything that's happened to bring Scientology into the public eye and show its abuses for what they are and show that it's not just some kooky, cult or, or belief system that celebrities get involved in, but it's actually something dangerous and something that should be avoided. 
Um, there's that part of it, and there's also within the church, uh, I've been paying a lot of attention over the last few years to the fact that they have been circling the wagons with the loss of members and have been increasing and tightening their grip and the draconian ethics controls that they use on people to keep them in line, keep them off the internet, keep them from talking to people like me or watching my videos or even watch, you know, watching Leah's show, watching Going Clear documentary, reading any of these books. The church is absolutely paranoid about any of their members doing anything like that. And they are coming down hard on people who they even suspect are connected to, you know, a suppressive people. And, and, and I think they're having a hard time keeping that bubble world intact. Uh, I think the real world keeps creeping in on it and uh, it's causing them a lot of trouble and it's causing people to, you know, to take off, to leave. So, um, so I, I don't have any, any problem with, uh, with those census figures or, or looking at those elsewhere. Now, as far as how could they prevent it, well, besides the draconian measures they're taking, uh, which kind of, you know, work, uh, like, like, of course they're gonna do that because it's in their DNA to do so. So the things that they should be doing in order to prevent that, they're never gonna be able to do, and that is to, uh, to chill out, to give people more freedom of thought and more ability to choose and also then demonstrate that, uh, that what is being said about the church is, it, you know, if they want to say that what I'm saying and Leah's saying and other people are saying are, is not true, then they need to demonstrate that. And of course they can't because what we're saying is true. What, what you know, disconnection and the harsh conditions that go on in the Sea Org and all that stuff, that's, that's all true. And it remains true to this day. So if they wanted to counter that, they'd have to change the way they operate, and they, and they really should be doing that. If they wanted to keep the membership and grow the membership, then they would need to get rid of the Office of Special Affairs, cancel disconnection, and really put the brunt of emphasis on their services on, um, on their lower level services, not their higher confidential expensive services, right? Because the lower level services tend to be more common sense uh, approach and oriented and can be somewhat helpful in certain circumstances, right? Uh, and by those, I'm talking about their classes, like their, you know, parenting class or their communications class or something like this, you know, they could, they could deliver those things and they're not really like too harmful and too outrageous, but um, you know, but like Aaron and I have talked about recently, and as I've said on this channel, when you, as you go and progress upwards and go higher and higher in their hierarchy of services, the more uh, crazy making the services become and the worse things get. So, uh, so if they really concentrated on the lower level stuff, then they could increase their membership and, and stop, you know, just, just utterly stop with all the Xenu stuff, you know. So anyway, that's kind of in a nutshell. I could obviously talk about this for a long time, but that's, um, that's what I, I generally think on this. Polymath. If Marty Rathbun's new anti-anti-Scientology videos are meant for those who are still in Scientology, then those Scientology folks are finding out about what Lawrence Wright has written, what Leah Remini is saying, etc. Isn't this dangerous, either by exposing members to info that harms their efforts working up the bridge, or by exposing them to info that might make them question their membership in Scientology. 
I don't think that Marty Rathman's current spate of videos, and I think there's been 20 or something so far put out, are for in-church Scientologists. I think um, what, what has come up in the last couple days, and people have been alerting me to, is that these videos of Marty's are coming up in ads on Scientology-related content on YouTube, like my videos get ads for to click on and go watch Marty Rathbun's videos down, you know, denigrating Leah and Mike and, you know, any critic of Scientology. So I think they're targeting these videos to people who have been exposed to Leah's show uh, or Mike's blog or, you know, these kinds of things in an effort to show, well, here's a prominent ex-Scientologist who's saying, uh, that that's all a bunch of crap, and and Leah doesn't know what she's talking about, and Mike doesn't know what he's talking about, and those all people who criticize Scientology are are being deceitful and deceptive, and are only in it for the money, and all this kind of crap that he's talking about. I haven't even watched all of his videos, but I've watched enough to see him say that stuff. Um, so I think that is it, it's sort of a counter campaign to Leah's show is I think what these videos are supposed to be. And they're also, of course, a way for the church to counter or for Marty. I mean, I'm assuming at this point, given the fact that the church is advertising these videos, has put these videos on their anti-Leah website, I, I, you know, it, it's kind of an Occam's razor thing that, that the church is behind these videos and behind the production of them and is somehow you know, gotten Marty back in the fold to the degree that he'll do these videos. Whether he's gone back to being a Scientologist, I don't know and don't care. Um, so I think this is their counter campaign and it also, Marty is um, basically refuting and invalidating and, you know, taking, sort of taking back everything he ever said about, you know, that was critical of Scientology or critical of David Miscavige or of the of the church and its its hierarchy and its belief system. So he's sort of like taking, you know, making everything he ever wrote or said and just sort of throwing all that in the trash because now look at what he's saying, you know, now. So and I'm sure the church is is now trying to use this internally when necessary with their members who were advertently or inadvertently exposed to Leah's show, Mike's blog, Marty's blog, um, or any of any you know, the the My Scientology movie, the Going Clear documentary. I mean, this is clearly targeted to um, to invalidate and take and counter those documentaries and those pieces of work. So, um, so I think that they would use it with Scientologists sparingly. Like they would probably, if they were going to do this at all, and they, and I, I, I think they probably would. Um, ethics officers in the church, or probably OSA staff members in the church, directors of special affairs, would be instructed to only use these videos in the parts that are necessary to counter what this Scientologist might have heard or read or seen, uh, you know, on the internet or on HBO or wherever, right? Because I think the church at this point probably realizes that they don't have as much control over their membership as they would like to have and that their members are going to, you know, have relatives, have friends or themselves, you know, throw this stuff in front of themselves and and see anti-church material. So 
Now they can say, oh yeah, Marty Rathman, yeah, he was the guy who was, you know, under David Miscavige and he's declared, but look at what he's saying now because he's come to his senses and realized that, you know, that we're really all a bunch of great people and uh, he's on our side and he is exposing, you know, all of their crimes and lies and this sort of thing. So. It's a tricky gambit for the church to take because it, it falls apart very quickly if you start applying critical thinking to it. But they might be counting on the fact that uh, Scientologists don't apply a whole lot of critical thinking. So they don't think about Scientology or the material that's counter to Scientology in the same way that you and I do. Right? We have full freedom to think and believe and look at whatever we want to now. Um, they don't. And so they're fed, you know, the bits and pieces that Scientology wants them to see. And they're, they have a vested interest in wanting to believe what the church tells them. So they're not going to be fully critical thinkers when it comes to Marty Rathbun or the videos that he's saying. And, you know, and who knows, maybe some people in the church don't even know who Marty Rathbun is. Uh, you know, maybe they've heard of Leah or they heard of Mike or something. And then they, you know, well, here's this guy who knows what he's talking about. And so watch this, right? So I think that's how they would use it. They wouldn't use it in such a way that a person would hear something that they've never heard before, you know, that Mike or Leah are saying or that somebody else, one of their um, guests are saying on the show. They wouldn't hear that part of what Marty Rathbun is talking about. They'd only hear the parts that, you know, would apply to whatever they have heard, seen, or read. So there you go. Dolly Jean. I have a friend who is an avid Scientologist and who recently went clear. It got me thinking about how people really feel or expect they should feel after going clear. Does their relationship with others change much or do they feel they should be able to read others' tone levels, have the ability to fix flawed relationships, or that life in general is completely different from the moment they attest? It's hard for me to believe that the euphoria they feel initially really lasts. And if that's the case, do they feel a sense of letdown or do they just ignore it and shrug it off, explaining it away to something else? Also, somewhere in my delving into Scientology a few years back, I remember reading in one of LRH's books about it being ideal that both parents are clear before having children because of it setting them up in the right environment from the moment they are born. And I wondered if you'd heard anything about this or if it's a thing that Scientologists couples think about and take seriously enough that they hold off having kids until both are clear. Okay, tackling the second part of that first because it's the fastest. I never saw any Scientology couple waiting until they were clear before they would have kids. Um, it's not something that, you know, it's, it, it would be a piece of advice maybe that Hubbard might have given in Dianetics or in, you know, some of the early materials where he was talking about the, ne the necessity of having clears and and, uh, you know, and, and how people should be, um, you know, cleared in positions of government or responsibility or stuff like, you know, something like that. But I don't recall him actually saying that a couple should be clear before they have kids. I think it was um, what I recall was something more along the lines of, you know, getting up to clear as quickly as possible, uh, no matter what the situation you're in. Um, and of course, that would include parents. Um, now, as far as attaining the state of clear, there's a point in one's auditing where they are supposed to achieve clear uh, during their Dianetic auditing. And 
um, when they attest to the state of clear, that's not that's an acknowledgement that they have reached that state. It's not the point where they do reach the state. So, uh, but you know, I, I get the point of your question being that you know after they attest to that, after that is acknowledged, how do they feel? What is life like? And uh, yes, it's there's a lot of euphoria connected with it. There's a ton of acknowledgement. People applaud them and are, you know, ooh, what's it like? And oh my goodness, being clear, wow, that's so awesome. So amazing, you've done that. You don't have a reactive mind anymore. What's it like? You know, people who aren't clear ask them about it and they get to have status and, and authority and become something of a, of a, you know, status symbol because of that. So that, that, that helps pump people up. Um, but yeah, it's a short-lived thing. I mean, I remember when I attested the state of clear, I was like, whoa, I was so amazed, I was so happy. And it was, it was uh, I was down in Orange County and I lived in Santa Barbara in California, so I had to drive back to Santa Barbara that night and I was like, wow, the whole time, right? I was just speeding down the highway and I just felt like life was wide open and incredible and, and uh, everything was just gonna be so much better now because I didn't have this burden of a reactive mind anymore. So therefore, I felt that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be feeling the same levels of stress and um, things wouldn't get to me so much and I wouldn't have uh, problems in the same way. They wouldn't be so, you know, serious and, and I'd be able to just kind of, uh, you know, sort of wing my way through life in a happier, more peaceful, more understanding state of mind. This was kind of my idea of what it was going to be like. Well, that lasted for a day or two, <laughs> and then, you know, and then the problems of life start coming in on you, and you know, you got to pay, you got to make your rent. And I was a staff member at the time, so I was, you know, working very hard, and and uh, you know, and I didn't have a girlfriend, and that was kind of getting me down, and I had, you know, all kinds of other other things, you know, just problems of life. And uh, after a couple of days, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm clear. But yeah, I still kind of feel, you know, not so great sometimes. And after a week or two or three, it was kind of like just right back to, you know, life as it always had been. Um, so I had to keep reminding myself, and this is what Scientologists do, is they'll pump themselves up by going, oh no, I'm, you know, something will happen and they'll respond or react to it with maybe a negative emotion or some kind of uh, concern or worry or upset or stress and then they'll go, oh wait, no, no, I'm clear, I'm not supposed to have this. And then they'll kind of push it out of the way, right? Oh no, 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 and, and they'll try to deal with it. And of course this is, uh, I think, is kind of is kind of suppressing your natural emotional reactions and feelings and thoughts about things because you're not supposed to feel this way and so it kind of i think creates an unhealthy psychological condition of of serious denial uh you know i don't you know i, I haven't read up on denial and i don't know everything about it but i do know from my own experience that suppressing one's emotional reactions to things or how one does feel because you're not supposed to feel that way. I know from, you know, my time in Scientology that that really screwed up my head and it took a, you know, a while after coming out of Scientology to undo that the habit of that, right? And be able to experience the full range of emotions and reactions and upsets and things that that we have in life. It's just part of life and you, you know, I think you should should live it. So, um, so that is the process I think that happens with clears and all the way through OT. I mean, you go on up the levels 
and it's just the same thing again and again and again. Now, what Scientologists tell themselves about this is that uh, if they, that euphoria or that re what they call a release or, you know, woohoo, all this stuff goes way far away from you, you've released it, right? If it starts coming back in and they start feeling bad, um, then you need your next level. Oh, that's why you need to get onto the OT levels right away. And Hubbard, recognizing this as a thing, seeing that this euphoria was not going to last a long time, put out after 1967 and after oh, the, the whole Xenu OT3 thing came out, he said that clears, somebody who reaches the state of clear, is actually at risk if they don't proceed as quickly as possible up through OT3. So he made it a priority within the church, not just, okay, well, let's get you on with your next step because that's the right thing to do. No, he actually wrote, and they show this to people who are in the church, that, hey man, you're in danger if you don't get up to OT3 right away. You gotta get moving because there are things, now that you're clear, your reactive mind is out of the way, and that has opened the door to this, what they call your OT case, right? All the stuff that's been being held at bay because you had a reactive mind sort of as a buffer, and that reactive mind was giving you a bunch of trouble. But now that that's out of the way, all this other stuff is going to come at you. And the, and the way that OTs described it when I was in Scientology is... They say um, that this OT case is of gigantic, enormous magnitude, way bigger and heavier than your reactive mind. And uh, comparisons have been made, like, for example, one guy said, um, uh, yeah, it's like you're, you know, you, you're spiritually, you're in a, in a, in a, a huge football field size junkyard. And... The whole time that you were going up through the state of clear, you had this banana peel over your eyes and you couldn't see all the rest of this stuff. And you were just talking about this banana peel and you were just going to handle, if I could just handle this one thing, I could see because it's blocking my vision and everything would be great because you didn't see everything else. And so then you achieve the state of clear and the banana, somebody takes the banana away and you go, oh my God, where did all this shit come from? Right? And that's supposed to be your OT case. And it's supposed to be like this huge, you know, volume of stuff that you now have to deal with by doing the OT levels. And they tell you, and they, this is really pushed in Scientology really hard. I don't think this really gets talked about very much. But, um, but this is how they sell you on going from clear to OT. So, point being made there, I, I think I've, I've probably over, overstated it, but that's the answer to the question. Ben Johnson. In George Orwell's 1984, Winston Smith worried that he might talk in his sleep and the ever-present monitoring devices would pick up whatever he says, which would result in him being sent to the dreaded Room 101. If a Scientologist talked in their sleep, saying things like, No, sir, go to hell, sir, or kiss my grit, COB, would their Scientologist spouse or bunkmate feel compelled to write a knowledge report on them? Or would a good Scientologist feel the need to confess dreams regarding the church or its upper management? As ridiculous as this all sounds, has it happened? Or if you don't know of any examples, does it sound feasible? Thank you and keep up the good fight. 
If a person were being a good Scientologist, then yes, they would write a knowledge report on a spouse or friend or bunkmate uh, having dreams and saying things that are critical of Scientology or that they might somehow be uh, antagonistic or, or critical or upset or somehow you know, not, uh, not all in favor of Scientology or a senior person or somebody they, you know, answer to or an executive of Scientology. Um, you're supposed to report that stuff. And, uh, and if you don't, and it comes out later that you knew about it and you didn't say anything about it, then the penalty is supposed to apply to you just as, as much as it's supposed to apply to the person who's in trouble. So that's a thing. And uh, now that doesn't necessarily mean that all Scientologists are going to do that or are going to take that as seriously as every other Scientologist. It's not a monotone of, of agreement on that. Some people in Scientology hate knowledge reports, don't like writing them, don't like receiving them, don't, don't really get into that whole mindset. And other people in Scientology very seriously get into it. And there's a whole spectrum in between those two. So, uh, so it really would depend on the, on the Scientologist in question. Um, now, as far as could you get in trouble for dreams and stuff, or do you feel compelled to report them, you are supposed to talk about, or, or talk in your auditing, you're supposed to, uh, if you're having critical thoughts, right, you're, you're thinking criticisms or you're thinking bad things about what's going on around you in the world of Scientology, that's supposed to come up in your auditing. And that is then a string that the auditor will pull on to find out what's at the other end of that, that you've been doing, right? It's the, the critical thoughts are all supposed to be a symptom of the actual problem, which is that you've been committing moral transgressions or what are called overt acts in Scientology, bad things that you did, that you know you did, that you weren't supposed to do, whatever it is, that have now caused you to be, you know, having these critical thoughts. So that's, that's the Scientology mindset. They take it very seriously, and it is harped on over and over at all levels of Scientology, so it's not something you can forget about. And uh, that's how they would deal with that. Nick C. Are human beings naturally sentient, or only because human bodies are inhabited by thetans? If the latter, how come thetans can't inhabit other Earth animals, or can they? In Scientology, there's a concept of a thing called a genetic entity, which is not a thetan, but is a separate kind of living entity that goes and creates uh, bodies and, and sort of goes from body to body. It's sort of a genetic line. It's a little difficult to explain because Hubbard himself was never really super clear about it, and it's not talked about generally. Now they don't. They don't. They talk about it like it sort of exists, but nobody really has a, a good grasp on it because there's. Anyway, it's just a very confusing thing in Scientology. But this concept exists, and the idea being that animals, uh, insects, life that is not you know thetan run, is run by this genetic entity which has a very basic level of intelligence and ability, and sort of keeps life going. Now the thing about human beings is we're just another animal type body except we're inhabited by thetans, spiritual beings who uh, don't, they don't, the thetan doesn't animate the human body, um, the genetic entity sort of does, right? In the same way that with the cats, dogs, and you know, apes and this kind of thing. 
But when the, what, what the Thetan provides is this full range and realm of emotions and experience and, and you know, things that have happened you know, trillions of years ago and all that. And uh, the intelligence factor, right? The, and the personality, consciousness. So a, um, so a, a human being without a Thetan attached to it would kind of act sort of zombie-like or kind of uh, like, a, like an animal would, right? And you wouldn't expect um, that kind of, of creature to have a consciousness and a personality all its own and develop, you know, all of that because that's what the Thetan brings into the picture. And yes, in Scientology, um, there are ideas that some Thetans will inhabit animal bodies. Uh, there are people who are convinced that their cat has a Thetan connected to it or their dog because there's so much personality there. Uh, and when they look at them with their little puppy dog eyes, they're absolutely convinced that they see a little spiritual being in there. And there really isn't in the, in the belief system of Scientology any reason to counter that or say, well, that can't be that way. Hubbard never said, no, that's not that way. So there's no reason the Thetan couldn't inhabit a, a dog or a cat or uh, an ant, for that matter, right? And um, or even you know be a be an object. You know Hubbard talks about uh, Thetans who get in such degraded states that they you know they go off and and be a rock for a, a million years. So anyway, that's kind of the idea with that. It's time for flash answers. <laughs> Flamed answer 44. Where does David Miscavige live? Just curious if he has a billion dollar mansion. David Miscavige has apartments and places all around the world. I think there's about five or six places where he's got uh, play, you know, residences set up. Um, and I believe uh, what I've heard recently is that he is staying um, near the author services building in Hollywood. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole apartment complex behind there that he is uh, sort of taken over and that's where he is living right now. He does have a multi-million dollar uh, built mansion at the International Gold Base in Hemet, California, but apparently he hasn't been there in four years. And yeah, that multi-million dollar building, which I think is to the tune of something like $70 million, uh, was paid for with tax-exempt money. So there you go. Gary Page. Stacy Young once confirmed that $400,000 was spent by the Church of Scientology trying to find the two Japanese submarines Hubbard claimed to have sunk off the coast of Oregon in World War II. Have they ever tried to substantiate Hubbard's claim that there is a space station in northern Corsica with its ready-to-fly mothership? No, I never heard of the Church uh, officially trying to validate Hubbard's claims about uh, motherships and space stations in Corsica. Although I did once hear uh, within, when I was a Scientologist, that there were Scientologists who were down in Mexico looking for UFOs that Hubbard had somehow claimed were down there. So some Scientologists will get, you know, get, get a gumption to go out and look for this stuff. But I don't think the church officially has ever done anything like that. Not that I've heard of. Bobby Hunsaker. I'd be interested in seeing a video on the EPF. Any chance one is in the works? The EPF is the Estates Project Force, which is the name for basically the boot camp 
uh, actions that you do in coming into the Sea Organization in order to get basic indoctrination and training in how to be a Sea Org member. And um, yeah, I probably should do a video on that. It didn't occur to me to do one until you just asked about it. So I'll add that to my lineup of things to get done in the future, although it might be a while because I have some other things planned first. Okay, and we have reached the end of this episode of Critical Q&A. Thank you very much for coming around. Please provide any uh, support or love you want to in my direction if you find my channel interesting, informative, and entertaining. I am doing my best to provide that for you guys, and your support is what keeps this channel going and keeps me able to do what I'm doing. So thanks a lot for everybody who's uh, throwing some love and support my way please continue to do so. Uh, leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below, and um, go ahead and share this video around. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to my channel, now is a great time to do so. Talk at you later. Bye-bye.